You're listening to the Learn Like a CPA podcast, where we talk about all things real estate, tax strategy, and personal finance. Whether you're a real estate investor looking to scale your portfolio, or you're an individual wanting to take your financial freedom journey to the next level, this is a podcast for you. Welcome back, everyone, to the Learn Like a CPA show. I'm your host today, Ryan Bakey. And what we're going to talk about today is what a lot of investors over the last three or four years have been dealing with, whether they know it or not. And so after consulting over 200 real estate investors and business owners, a common conversation that comes up is, what is your return on equity calculation? Simply put, it's taking the amount of equity that you have invested into the property, whether that's capital that you've contributed or forced appreciation, and comparing that to what that equity is generating you in yearly cash flow. So for example, if I have $100,000 of equity in a property that's generating me $5,000 net cash flow, well, my return on equity in that case would be 5%. 5% of $100,000 is $5,000 net cash flow per year. For a lot of my clients that are owning long-term rentals, what we're seeing is tons of appreciation in the California, Texas, New York, and Florida markets. And in my opinion, it makes sense to move some of the equity out of those investments, specifically single-family, you know, multifamily, duplex, triplex, where you might be making a 5% return on equity versus where you could be making a higher return of even 10, 15, or maybe even 20% return on equity. Because what happens is is you have to figure out what your break-even point is on that equity that's generated. And I can think of this for a client that I just talked to a few weeks ago about the the long-term rental equity that they had in a property in Austin, Texas, where, for example, they had about $300,000 of equity into a, in a long-term rental that they were only generating $10,000 a year in cash flow. And so when you're looking at this, that client would have had to would have to rent out the property for 30 years just to break even on the amount of equity that they have in the property. Now, of course, you have closing costs and potentially a tax liability, et cetera. But this is the type of analysis that a lot of clients who started off in long-term rentals or multifamily that have shifted into short-term rentals or just really savvy investors in general general are doing is comparing, well, how much equity do I have either through capital that I've contributed or forced appreciation, uh, just the property value going up, and compared to what is that actually making. And you'll find that they can dump that money into different assets and actually outperform what they're currently outperforming. For clients, who own short-term rentals, especially in uh, Smoky Mountains, again, Florida, California, the usual suspects where property values have just skyrocketed in value. Uh, I've seen people buy cabins in 2018 and 2019 for, let's say, $300,000, and now those same cabins are worth $800,000. So that particular person's gonna have instantly, you know, they're gonna have $500,000 of equity that's generated from the appreciation plus the amount of equity that they probably had in the property. So in this case, let's assume, let's assume $100,000 invested plus 500,000 of equity generated. You know that Smoky Mountains cabin might have $600,000 of equity in it, 
And most of the time, these clients, they're only making, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year of cash flow on on these properties. And so if I have six hundred thousand dollars of equity tied up into a, a property that is only generating me fifty thousand dollars a year in cash flow, which a lot of these properties in the Smoky Mountains are. And when we calculate cash flow, by the way, it's going to be uh, net cash flow after all your debt service. So uh, net income minus your mortgage payment, principal, taxes, insurance, interest, etc. In this example here, that that particular person would they would have to rent out that cabin for 12 years just to break even on the amount of equity that they've generated through through the appreciation through forced appreciation. So. It, it it makes you create this analysis of, well, could my money be working? Could I multiply my money and make it work harder for me and earn a higher percent ROI on my equity invested? Um, because if I'm able to, let's say, earn on average 10% return on equity on all my equity I have invested, well, if I have you know six $700,000 of equity, I need to be making at least 10%, not the current six, seven, or eight that I'm making as it sits here. Some other factors to consider is going to be what we talked about in one of the last episodes, which is the wherewithal to pay problem. So if I had a property that forced appreciation that went up a lot in value and I either refinanced or I took a HELOC out on it, I'm going to have debt that I have to pay back to the bank in the event that I'm able, in the event that I go to sell it. And so if you have refinanced properties and pulled value, out of the property, you're going to want to double check to make sure that the amount of money that you're receiving at the closing table is going to be enough to cover any sort of capital gain or tax bill that you might have uh, before you before you bank on taking that money from the sale and being able to apply it to your next purchase. Another factor to consider would be mortgage rates. So if we go back to those those properties, you know the mortgage rate on those properties that were bought in 2018, 2019 is likely going to be at, at a, let's say, so if we go back to the first example, or let's say the short-term rental example where we purchased for 300,000 and now it's worth 800,000. Well, that, that mortgage rate on the original property was probably something like three, three and a half, maybe let's say 4%. You know, now you're switching into something that's much more higher and current rates as we're filming this podcast at the end of November, you know, we're talking probably six, six and a half percent interest rates now. So you're going to have to go to war and go to bat with that of leaving a low interest rate environment for something that's a higher rate environment. But if you can stomach the new debt service on that property and all your numbers are going to pencil out, this makes a lot of sense to switch from, take your equity and your properties that you already have and move them into something that's more higher income producing. Something else to factor in is going to be closing costs. So you're obviously going to have your closing costs from the sale, and then you're going to have closing costs and fees from the new purchase. So just make sure that you're factoring in those when it comes to calculating your returns. Now, the second part of this, this podcast is, okay, I'm on board with taking my equity out of some of my properties and moving them into new properties or purchasing new assets. Well, how do I do that uh, tax efficiently? And so today there's, there's multiple, multiple strategies, but today I wanna really talk about four different strategies. 
Uh, so the uh, number one strategy we're going to talk about, or the first strategy we're going to talk about is the 1031 like-kind exchange. So for most investors, we know that as, hey, as long as I trade up in assets, I go from the four green houses in Monopoly to the big red hotel, I'm going to be able to buy something that's bigger than the current property that I own and be able to defer the capital gain tax bill. Um, that's a tried and true formula. It's, it's worked for dozens of years now. The problem, in my opinion, with the 1031 like in exchange is, uh, number one, the timing. So you have 45 days from the sale of the of the old property to identify your replacement properties and 180 days to close on those replacement properties. I mean, I've talked to people who are deer in the headlights when it comes to these rules that they're on day 38 and they still haven't identified any properties. So the timing is very important when you do this, but more so also too is what type of market are we in? So in 2021, 2020, it was, it was very hard to implement a 1031 like kind of exchange just because real estate was moving off the market very fast. You had properties that were being listed Thursday that were being under contract by Monday. You had, you had real estate was just moving off the charts and it could be very hard to implement a 1031 exchange when we're in a seller's market. Uh, conversely, what we're in now, which you know, in my opinion could be a, a buyer's market is you're going to have a you're going to have a struggle to be able to find a new property especially if financing is wrong now right now you're paying seven six and a half seven percent interest rates as opposed to the three or four percent that you had before so the 1031 exchange can work but just be aware of the pitfalls and the potential traps that are uh, around it the the other the other strategy that we have here today to exit tax efficiently is what i call the poor man's 1031 exchange and the reason why I, I dubbed it this, and I don't know if anybody else has called it this before, so uh, I claim credit to this, is the reason why it's known as this is you're essentially achieving the same benefit of being able to offset the gain from the sale of the first property by buying a new property. You just don't have to go through the hassle of the 1031 exchange. So for example, and what you're gonna do is you're gonna sell outright, you're gonna sell outright and buy outright. So instead of going to the 10, going through the 1031 exchange and having to fill out the paperwork and having them hold on to your money, you're going to sell the property outright, grab your cash, and then you're going to buy a new property outright. And why we like this so much is now you don't really have to worry about the timing issue. You don't have to worry about identifying properties. You don't have to worry about how much you buy. You are very free to do what you want as you will using this strategy. Another another aspect of it too is when you do a 1031 exchange, and so for my people that are really nerdy about this stuff, when you do a 1031 exchange, your basis in your new property is most of the time your old basis in the previous property, which means you're not gonna get a step up in cost basis when you 1031 into a new property. However, if you do the poor man's 1031 exchange, your cost basis in the new property is what you paid for it. And so if I'm able to sell my old property, buy a new property, accelerate the depreciation on the new property, I'm able to offset the gains from the first property. I just have to make sure that I do that in the same calendar year. Which brings up another great point of, 
if you're if you're later in the year, like where we are now, you know, November, December, even let's say October, November, December, you may not want to do the 1031 exchange because if it falls through for whatever reason, you have no recourse against that tax liability. Right. If I if I go through a 1031 exchange in November and I find out January or February that it's no good, well, now I'm stuck paying that capital gains bill for 2022. Versus if you if you sold the property, say January 3rd of the following year, now you have the entire year to tax plan around your sale. And so as long as I sell a property and buy a new property within the same year, I'm going to be able to offset that gain. The third strategy would be to uh, sell and invest in syndications. So this is similar to the second strategy, except this is going to be for the person that wants to be a little bit more hands off. Uh, this is for the person that doesn't necessarily have the time to buy more property. Uh, you can sell your property outright and just take that money and invest it in syndications that are also going to be doing bonus depreciation, cost segregation on their underlying assets. And those syndications are going to pass you back losses that you passive losses that you're going to be able to use to offset your gains from the from the property sale. Reason why people like this again is you're you're more hands off and you have more flexibility with what you do with your cash. Just there's a there's a really finite calculation when you go into how much money can I put in versus how much losses that I'm going to get. So make sure you work with uh, somebody that is educated on that to be able to help you with that. The fourth strategy, the last one that we're going to talk about is um, sell your assets in a year where you have lower taxable income. Uh, in lower income years. You know, if I'm in a 35% tax bracket and then one year I decide, hey, I'm going to stop working, I'm going to sell some of these assets, I may not be in a 35% tax bracket anymore. I could potentially be in a 12 or a 22% tax bracket. So the name of the game is, can you take your deductions in years where you have a high taxable income, but when you do recognize the, the it as income, can you be in a lower tax bracket? And those are going to be the four strategies that you're going to use to get out of a property tax efficiently. So that's going to be it for today's episode. We kind of covered what is your return on equity calculation? You know, can I take a property that has $500,000 of equity and it's only cash flowing me 50 grand a year for a 10% equity and and play 10% return on equity and place that money into something that's going to potentially make me more? And how do I exit tax efficiently, right? What are some of the ways that I can utilize? What are some of the things I can utilize to exit that property tax efficiently? If you want to learn more about these strategies, I do have a course that's going to be coming out soon in the new year. And if you're interested for podcast listeners, we are doing 20% off the course. If you want to DM me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, DM me the word tax course for 20% off and I'll, and I'll give you that coupon. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. We'll, we will see you in the next episode. 